the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 15th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the uh, great conversation on the history of immigration in this country, particularly as it pertains to the poem that some people... I, what a great line by the last caller. Some people don't know the difference, literally, between a statue and a statute. Some people actually mistake that in the words statute of limitations. They say statue of limitations. Uh, but no, uh, legitimately, there are some people who think that the poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty actually uh, is U.S. law, that it actually is codified as, as U.S. law. No, 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 friends, it's not. Really great conversation of that history. Want to pivot now to a host of other issues as we welcome our guest to the program, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He is a columnist for the Washington Times now. He is also the best-selling author of Not a Daycare. Dr. Piper, good to talk to you again. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. As always, thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure, Dr. Piper. A lot of really important stuff to talk about today and uh, in the... uh, In an effort to try to get all of them, let's dive right into your column from this past weekend uh, for the Washington Times, in which you tell the story uh, of narcissists, not narcissists, but the uh, the origin narcissist, the son of the river god Cephasus, if I'm saying that correctly, that gave birth to what we now know today as narcissists. And you're telling the story for a very good reason. I'll let you set the table. Well, basically, I set the context for a dialogue that I had with a student, and I tell the story of Narcissus, son of the Greek god Cephasus, and we all know the story. Uh, After a long hunt, uh, he stumbled across a pool in the crook of a stream. He gazed in the pool, infatuated himself with himself. Day after day, he wasted away, slipped into the pool, and drowned. 
in love with himself. That's the story of narcissists. That's that what leads us to the word of narcissism, self-love, self-infatuation. Now, I tell the story in this article about how a student confronted me once and said, you know, the problem with you conservatives is that you're arrogant. You think you're always right. So I responded to him, and I basically said, well, let's first have some clarification. You know, when it comes to conservatives or progressives thinking they're always right, let's just admit this. We both think we're right. In other words, you think you're right for confronting me for thinking I'm always right, which makes you part of the problem that you're confronting. It would be silly to even suggest that we have a disagreement or an argument or any dialogue if one person doesn't think his argument is superior to the other person. So progressives think they're right just as much as conservatives think they're right. So let's set that aside. Second point. So it's not the uh, fact of thinking that you're right that is the issue. It's the source of thinking that you're right as the issue, because progressives think the source of being right is themselves, what they see in the mirror. They define everything. They define the truth. But conservatives actually don't think what they see in the mirror is the definition of right and wrong. We reach beyond that to something more objective and more permanent. So here we have it. The progressives are narcissists. They fall in love with the image of themselves, and conservatives actually believe that there's something bigger than themselves. So why does it make me arrogant to believe that truth is given from outside of me, but yet the progressive is humble by claiming that he's the source of all truth? And I actually conclude by suggesting when Joe Biden says that we believe in truth over fact, he's actually committing a Freudian slip. He's falling into this nonsense of saying, we will construct our truths. We are the source of what's true. There's no objective standard above us. Facts don't matter. We believe in our truths. This is nonsense. This is lunacy. And as I was going to said, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. It's a fact. And this narcissism of Biden and this narcissism of our culture, the progressives thinking that they're the humble ones when they claim to be the authority and the source of all truth, it is again turning the world upside down. You know, Dr. Piper, I want to follow that with um, a, a great piece written this past week also by um, uh, Dennis Prager, uh, who wrote, I think, for townhall.com about that, that phrase about truth. Um, over and over and over again, we hear people, particularly progressives, talk about my truth. I'm going to speak my truth. I'm going to speak our truth. Uh, there is no my truth and your truth. There can only be truth. As, as you point out, no matter how many times somebody says something, maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, their truth, it isn't unless it's the truth. You, you cannot, it's not relevant. It's not, this is how I perceive it so that it's true. You might have that perception. You might be deluded, self-delusional into thinking this is the way things are, but it doesn't make it so just because you believe it so, you know, so personally. Um, how did we get to this point where truth is relative and whatever one thinks is true is reality to them? We've been teaching values clarification and moral relativism for decades in our schools. This is one of my constant themes on your show and otherwise when I speak and when I write. The fault for what is, uh, plaguing us as a culture right now, whether it be violence in the streets or a virtueless culture, a culture that's prone to vice rather than veritas, truth, goes back to the classroom. What you teach in the classroom will be 
practiced tomorrow in our culture. Abraham Lincoln said, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will become the philosophy of the government in the next. Even Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. The fault, the fault lies in our schools. We've been teaching narcissism and self-absorption and self-actualization rather than self-restraint and self-responsibility for decades. So why would we not expect to see the negative consequences in our culture? You know, John Adams said that our Constitution is only good for governing a moral and religious people, and it's wholly adequate to the government of any other. Are we teaching morality in our schools? No. Are we teaching religion in our schools? No. Our Constitution is not good for governing anybody but a moral and religious people, and we don't even teach that anymore. Thus, we've got chaos. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest columnist with the Washington Times and, again, also a best-selling author, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Talk about our culture. Let me pivot to this now. Uh, you and I both uh, liked uh, a message that we saw on Twitter uh, from Candace Owens, who is um, a remarkable um, conservative pundit, and uh, she is uh, uh, she is opening a lot of eyes as it pertains to race in our culture and conservatism versus liberalism. She is the uh, kind of the sponsor of, if not the founder of the Blexit movement, which is calls for the black exit from the Democrat Party. And she speaks, speaks to our culture in this tweet, and I want to get your response to it. Democrats want men to act like women, women to act like men, children to pick their own gender, biological men in girls' restrooms and sports, Venezuela's economy, and all white heterosexuals to apologize because racism forever. This is the platform that they expect to use to beat Trump in 2020. I want to avoid the political part of that in the end. Just talk about the culture that they are creating. Even if this was not an election cycle, Dr. Piper, everything she said is right. This is what they are pushing to change our culture into in the United States of America. Every single candidate right now for the nomination for the Democratic Party presidency, every single candidate espouses what she said. You know, what she said would be funny if it were hyperbole, if it were somewhat a joke, but it's sad because it's true. Democrats want men to act like women. Toxic masculinity. If you're masculine, if you're chivalrous, if you're showing courage, if you're showing confidence, if you're acting like a man, if you're teaching your son to behave like a man, you're considered to be toxic. You're not considered to be uh, good for culture, you're bad for culture. Part they of the patriarchy, children. which is evil. The patriarchy, of and, course, is evil. That's leading to all of this. Go ahead. Spot, spot on. And they want children to pick their own gender as young as three and four and five years of age. This is asinine. Anybody with any education whatsoever in child psychology and adolescent psychology knows that no child and no adolescent should be put in the position of choosing these things because the maturation the physical maturation, the physiological maturation of the brain does not equip you to do so yet at that point. And if you're not teaching these kids morality and religion while they're growing physiologically and emotionally and spiritually, they're going to be lost. So again, from the economy to the raising of children, to the guarding of the innocence of children, to the dignity of the female, to the degradation of the male, all of these Democratic candidates are on the wrong side of history. They're not on the right side of history because they are creating chaos rather than a culture of character. 
Dr. Everett Piper is our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Doctor, I'm going to use that as a good breaking point here to come back. We have a couple of other subjects that we do want to touch on. And you and I don't normally talk about things like gun control or matters of public policy in that regard, but I know you do want to have uh, expressed some thoughts on that. So we'll talk about that, especially in light of the terrible standoff shooting yesterday in North Philadelphia. Dr. Piper, back with us after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. All right, 1022 now as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer with our guest, Dr. Everett Piper. He's the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, now a columnist, a speaker, and uh, also the author of a best-selling book called Not a Daycare. Dr. Piper, you and I normally don't talk about things like uh, gun control and matters like this. We talk about culture. We talk about spirituality. We talk about uh, many of those types of things. But uh, there's another, again, I'm going to turn to... um, a tweet that you and I both uh, were interested in, uh, quoting Seneca, a sword never kills anybody. It is a tool in the killer's hand. And uh, that's the full quote, and then the context, the evil that lurks in every fallen human being that, if left unchecked, is what finds uh, or finds whatever tools it needs to kill or maim. We keep seeing these terrible, devastating um, uh, tragedies, you know, the uh, shootings in El Paso and Dayton from a uh, weekend before last, obviously, uh, talking about yesterday, the shootout in North Philadelphia. And once again, the mayor of Philadelphia on cue, liberal Democratic candidates like Kamala Harris yesterday on live TV during the standoff on cue, calling for stricter gun control. They continue to blame the weapon rather than the heart of the user. Spot on. It's not what's in the hand. It's what's in the heart. If you take away their gun, they'll use a sword. If you take away the sword, they'll use a club. If you take away the club, they'll use a knife. If you take away the knife, they'll use a rock. People will find innumerable ways to kill other people. What do we hear in the story of Cain and Abel? There was no gun. There was no sword. There was a rock, and that's how Cain chose to kill his brother. The uh, Chesterton tells us that the most provable aspect of all of Christian theology is the original sin. Just turn on the nightly news, and the proof is there. If we stop, this actually is very consistent with what we've already talked about on your show this morning, Bob. If we stop teaching morality, if we start, if we stop crafting and molding a moral heart in the next generation of people that are going to be engaged in leading our culture. We're going to find an immoral people and a darkened heart that is leading culture and acting upon culture rather than one that restrains itself. It is not what's in the hand that is the problem here. It is what's in the heart. And you can take away all these weapons. You can take away rocks, and they'll still take a car or a truck and drive it into a crowd because of the hate and the darkness of the human heart. And the only way to solve that problem is through repentance and redemption, not through victimization. When you teach victimization, you're going to get vice and you're going to get vengeance. You're not going to get virtue. You know, um... The one place you left off, I mean, honestly, we don't even need rocks. We don't even need the most basic of weapons because there is a uh, there are statistics that show the number of murders committed each year by bare hands. I mean, quite literally, as you point out, it's not the type of weapon. You don't even need a weapon if you have hands and fists. Uh, there are people who are, uh, you know, who are hardened enough. That's what they're going to do. They use whatever is at their disposal, including their own uh, their own hands to to commit these terrible uh, acts. Uh, doctor, I want to. 
I want to pivot a little bit. Um, and it's kind of a pivot, but um, there was an article in the Federalist headlined. Uh, it was about uh, freshman orientation at a university. It happens to be Virginia Tech University. I feel as though, as I read that article about freshman orientation at Virginia Tech, I could have substituted any number of universities for Virginia Tech. But it's written by a mother who was talking about her son's freshman orientation and how they showed up. And they were separated, parents from children. Parents were oriented in one location, children were oriented in another location. And one of the things that they did, as she found out, was to essentially immediately begin the indoctrination of their self-identification through name tags that included not just names and majors and groups, but pronouns, gender pronouns. I bring these two things together, I kind of link them together, because, again, what we have done to undo or undermine what God built, which is men and women in his image for the purpose of procreation. What we have done to undo God's image, I think, kind of leads to a godless society in which all of these killings that we just referenced in the last subject, um, you know, continue to grow. Um, give me your thoughts on that. Well, I'm at the point, and this is, uh, people need to remember, I'm a, uh, I'm a former college president. Uh, my entire career has been in higher education. I mean, I've given my life to the ideals of the ivory tower. I'm at the point where I'm actually telling parents, don't send your kids to college because of this nonsense. You're getting an education that makes no sense. You're getting an education that denies reality. You're getting an education that elevates feelings over fact. You're getting an education that actually celebrates the fact that your kids have an opinion rather than actually know something. They're going to be told from day one when you drop them off for orientation that they can choose to redefine themselves in a way that actually contradicts science, biology, physiology, and genetics. This is lunacy, and you should not pay for it. I have said for years, I've said for years that this was coming. In fact, I've warned of this over and over again in my speeches and my writing, and even when I've conducted orientation at the colleges that I serve, Richard Rorty, a philosopher that was a premier philosopher of the United States for decades, died oh, a handful of years ago. But he once said at a premier institution, it was one of the Ivy League institutions, I can't remember which one, but he actually said this, and I quote, Parents, we are going to go right on making your ideas seem silly and undesirable in the minds of your students. He bragged about that. He boasted of that during a new student orientation session while moms and dads were dropping 40 and 50 grand on the barrel head to leave their kids, their 18-year-olds, in the hands of this man. And he boasted of making their parent, those ideas of the parents seem silly and undesirable. And then you see the story of Virginia Tech. This is playing itself out in spades. If you can't find a school that is proud of saying, we're not woke, then don't go there. Parents, don't be shocked if your kids come home changed. Or if your kid comes home changed, they said to the parents in one of the orientation rooms, to hundreds of parents, including the author of this piece that we're talking about, they literally are making it their mission, Dr. Piper, to change these kids, to to essentially deprogram them in their minds, that these kids have been programmed with their parents' ideals, their parents' values, their morality, their ethics, their faith, their spiritual life, etc. We're going to deprogram that from you and you are 
are going to become a blank slate. You are going to be fluid in all of your ideas, opinions, and even your own identity, and we will help you find that new one once we deprogram you. I'm terrified by this. Now, I'm very fortunate. I've told you before that my, my daughter starts in just two, uh, less than two weeks now, about a week, uh, about nine days. She starts at Hillsdale. Uh, I, I feel very, very comfortable that she is going to be able to be herself and not be programmed or deprogrammed, uh, at that university. But Virginia Tech is, there are, there are thousands of Virginia Techs, a lot more than there are Oklahoma Wesleyans or Hillsdales. Yeah, Hillsdale is one of the few that I would recommend, obviously, and I was very proud of what we did at Oklahoma Wesleyan, too. But your point is spot on, and I need to be quick, so I'll just summarize what you just said. Don't spend your money to send your kid off to be indoctrinated at a school that mocks what you tried to teach them for the first 18 years of their life while they were under your charge. Don't do it. Dr. Everett Piper, that is uh, that is very, very sound advice indeed. Doctor, we covered a lot of ground, not all the ground we wanted to, but that's okay. We're back again next Thursday, and we'll do this all over again. Thanks so much for your time, sir. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. Dr. Everett Piper from uh, the Washington Times, also a best-selling author. Coming up after the bottom of the hour news, what is Marxianity? You're going to find out. Author Brandon House joins us next right here on the Bob France Authority. All right, 1036, we continue the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Tremendous conversation, as always. If you missed that conversation, make sure that you uh, grab the second hour of our podcast, which is online at whkradio.com, our homepage. Go to the local podcast section. You'll find it there. If you missed the first hour in which we discussed at length um, the public charge doctrine signed into law back in 1996 by President William Jefferson Clinton, otherwise known as St. William the Philanderer, um, you can uh, hear that as well as, of course, the... Um, taunting of police officers in philadelphia during that shooting the first hour uh is already up i believe it is available for podcasting right now all right uh, i want to pivot we talk a lot uh on this program or we have talked a lot about the red green axis the unholy alliance if you will between communism and islamism uh we've had many guests who have been speakers at uh, act for america meetings either in person or online and this one is no different Brandon House uh, is an author. He is the author of 13 books. He is a radio show host as well. And he is an expert researcher on matters of the red-green axis. Particularly, he has a new book out called Marxianity and a new docu- or a documentary rather called Sabotage. Sabotage is a six-hour docu-movie detailing how Islamists, Marxists, and their religious useful idiots are detro- destroying America from within. And that'll be the second thing we talk about, because we're going to start with Brandon talking about Marxianity, his most recent book, which describes, are you ready for this, how the evangelical deep state and their useful I- idiots are merging Marxism with Christianity through social justice, white privilege, cultural Marxism, illegal immigration, interfaith dialogue, and more. That's a mouthful. Thank goodness uh, Brandon House is with us now to make some sense out of all of that. Brandon, thanks for coming, uh, or for, for joining us, rather, here on AM 1420, The Answer in Cleveland. How are you? Good. Glad to be with you. Thank you. 
That is a lot of ground to cover, boy. I don't know how long the event is going to be on Monday at 7 p.m., but you have a lot of a lot of work to do here uh, to try to set the table for us. And I really appreciate you coming on, Brandon. I do want to start with your book. Marxianity is the term I had not heard of before, but it makes perfect sense when I read that uh, very uh, uh, superficial description of this. Give us a little depth now on what the purpose of the book, what you're trying to prove in Marxianity. Well, thank you again for having me on. I've been writing and speaking on these things for many, many years. Uh, my first book came out in 1993, Cradle to College and Educational Abduction, the next one in 1995, Reclaiming a Nation at Risk. And I've been writing and warning about socialism, communism, Marxism uh, for many, many years. And uh, many people said, you know, the things you're talking about, that will never happen. I can't tell you how many people said they will never let that happen. I don't know who the they are, but... Uh, Supposedly, they would never let it happen, and yet here we are. Um, and not only are we seeing communism and socialism or Marxism, we're also seeing something known as communitarianism, the mixing of socialism with capitalism, also known as the third way, also known as Fabian socialism. So we're all these isms we're facing today, but would you think it would come into the main camp of mainstream evangelicalism? In fact, it has. It's hard to believe. I'm not talking your mainline churches. We know they were taken over a long time ago by the National Council of Churches, the Federal Council of Churches, the Rockefellers, working to do this with others. But it's been done on the mainstream level now. We have now had some of the biggest evangelical leaders in America speaking to 12,000-plus pastors as took place in Louisville, Kentucky, April 2018, pushing white privilege, declaring, as did a guy by the name of David Platt, you might remember, uh, Donald Trump showed up, President Trump showed up at his church a few months ago, unexpected. David Platt didn't know what to do. I think it's hilarious, because David Platt was a never-Trumper, along with a bunch of these other guys. Didn't know what to do when he got the word that the president was on his way to show up at his church and uh, have him pray for him. He did. And then the next day he came out and apologized. Well, David Platt is one of the guys I talk about. He spoke to 12,000 pastors in 2018 on video and declared that evangelical church is now awash in racism. We are all racist. And he went on to lay out why we're all racist. We're all racist because there's unemployment in the black community. There's crime in the black community. There's whatever the issue might be, he, he goes to lay it out. Uh, low income in the black community. Every issue he laid out, and he neglected to talk about the fact that we have the lowest unemployment in the black community, Hispanic community, in a long time, if ever. But he never laid out and said, hey, the reason we have high crime in the black community in the inner city largely is, as Thomas Williams, or I mean, Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell have said, and Star Parker and others have said, is because of the breakup of the family, which is because of the Marxists who went in and gave us a welfare state that said we don't need fathers, the government can take care of these kids, we got easy divorce, no-fault divorce, sex education, and we destroyed the family for all people groups, but particularly the inner-city black with the poverty pimps, and we destroyed the black family. And now we have high unemployment, as also due to the communist, socialist, Democrats, who in the 1930s put in minimum wage laws that stopped the black construction worker companies from underbidding and beating out the white companies. And when the unions found out what they were doing, the unions passed for legislation in 1930 to bring in minimum wage laws that stopped the black 
construction companies from underbidding the white construction companies. So I can go right down the line and tell you everything he said had nothing to do with white, white Christian evangelicals, had everything to do with communism. And he said the solution was that the evangelical church needed to move towards socialism. This, and I could give you one example after another where this is going on with mainstream evangelicals. That guy, David Platt, he became the host of a show that's been around since the 1940s on radio called Back to the Bible. Well, that lasted for about six months until their donors apparently said, we're not supporting your ministry anymore if you're putting a uh, uh, neo-Marxist, a cultural Marxist like this in play. And I could go down the list and tell you whether it's David Platt, Matt Chandler. Now, these names may mean nothing to your audience. These are some of the biggest names in evangelicalism today. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, uh, John Piper. I mean, I could just keep going down the line. You're right. Uh, there are a lot of names there that I am not terribly familiar with, and maybe not a lot of my audiences either. But but the names aren't as important as as the the message and 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 how how widely it's being spread. What I want to know is why uh, are are evangelicals so quick to embrace this? This is so antithetical to everything that you know they had been taught, or or you know pretty much all Christians have been taught to believe in. Um, why are they so quick to embrace this move and this advancement of the socialist causes that you're talking about? Because the church, the evangelical church, is just downstream from the culture, and whatever's in the culture runs right into the church within six months to two years. Um, there's very little difference between the modern evangelical and the non-church uh, goer. Uh, the divorce rate's about the same. Uh, the use of pornography is about the same. Uh, bankruptcy is about the same. Um, <laughs> It's just pathetic, and a lot. But, but modern, modern evangelicals don't deify pastors like this Platt, do they? I mean, I mean, they, 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 I guess what I'm asking is, is, do they? Maybe I shouldn't say it. I should ask it. Oh, do they, they do. see these people as being almost godlike themselves, and what they say must be followed? Because that's that's pretty terrifying, quite frankly. Well, they are very popular. Um, they uh, believe these guys are good guys that have great intentions and that they just love Jesus and they love the gospel and. And I'm narrow-minded, and I'm intolerant, and I'm hateful, and I've taken them out of context. That's that's what they immediately go to. They immediately go to that. Well, they said the same thing to us about several other guys that we warned about several years ago. I could go through a litany of list of those guys we warned about 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And then when it came so obvious they couldn't say no, did any of them come back and apologize? No. This is typical of the evangelical camp. They give... They, they they are educated beyond their intelligence, a lot of them. Most of them aren't even educated. They don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. Sadly, most of their pastors today don't know what they believe and why they believe it. Their pastors stopped a long time ago understanding the worldview war. They don't, if you ask the average pastor how many how many major worldviews are there, they don't know. They, they don't know about the communist worldview. They don't know about postmodernism. They don't know about Islam. They don't know about any of the secular humanism, cosmic humanism. They don't know about any of the six dominant worldviews that rule the world. They don't think the Bible has anything to say about these issues. Uh, if you were to ask them about global warming, man-made, man-made global warming, and a biblical worldview on that, they cannot add, answer that. How about the, the issue of private contract, private property? Uh, how about socialism? Well, a lot of them today are starting to believe that Jesus was all about ending poverty. That's what Jesus was about, because after all, Jesus said he came to deal with those who were the poor in spirit. 
but of course he was talking about the spiritually bankrupt. So again, the problem is most. Yeah, but of didn't Jesus pastors, teach us to embrace poverty? I mean, you know, easier easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. I mean, he told us to embrace yeah. power. I don't want to get into all of that, obviously. But the point, in fact, let me pivot to this, Brandon, since I interrupted you rudely, and I apologize for that. Brandon Haas is my guest. He is the author of 13 books, the latest of which is Marxianity, which we're discussing right now, and the unholy marriage between Marxism and Christianity and evangelism. rather. But let's talk about sabotage. Uh, which is your six-hour right. docu-movie, uh, uh, which details, and this is just what's going to be hard for people to wrap their brains around, myself included. We, we've long talked about the red-green axis, which you cover in this, and that is Islamism and Marxism slash communism, and how they work together to undermine and destroy America from within, as you point out. Islamists and Christians are, and evangelicals are very, very different, but yet here we are, two separate subjects, one in which... Communists and Marxists, socialists are using Islamists to advance their 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 agenda, and they're using Christians to do the same thing. Wait, yet Christians and, and, yep. and, and Islamists are very very different in terms of their belief. How in the world can both of those major world religions um, be be co opted, if you will, by Marxism? Goes back to the same reason they're being co opted by the communists. They don't. The, the average Christian in America, evangelical, doesn't know what they believe or why they believe it or anything about the other competing worldviews. So that it goes back to ignorance once again. Um, the biggest uh, issue for us right now in exposing the Red Green Axis is interfaith dialogue. And uh, I was having dinner in my uh, home last year with two former CIA operations officers. One was sitting on my left, one was sitting on my right. The one on my left was an atheist, but a very conservative, politically, socially conservative uh, individual, but nonetheless an atheist. The one on my right was a former atheist, um, but no longer an atheist. But the point I'm making is neither one of them were Bible-thumping evangelicals, per se, at all, at all, but very conservative, politically, socially, national security-wise. And I was, I was expressing my great concern about the state of modern-day evangelicalism, and what was happening, and they were not aware of all this. It's not their area. And their response to me, both of them, was, this is a very serious matter. You better crank this book out. You better get out there and talk to as many people as you can. And both of these former CIA operations officers said, the reason why is because the evangelical church is the last line of defense. If these guys cave, you can kiss the country goodbye, because this is the last group of people that we would think would be standing up for private property, uh, women, um, uh, you know, what is right, what is just, what is good, national sovereignty, borders. I mean, the Bible says God draws the borders of nations. The Bible talks a lot about borders and nations and national security. And so I said, well, the biggest issue is interfaith dialogue. And that's what they're doing today. They're getting together major evangelicals. Again, I'm not talking just your liberal main line that were gone a long time ago. Major evangelical leaders are sitting with uh, cultural jihadists, Muslim Brotherhood, Caroline, Hamas-aligned imams, sitting in churches, on platforms, in churches, declaring they can find common ground. Now, this is Muslim Brotherhood that dates back to 1928 that was involved in the Holocaust with their leader, Al-Banna started Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Husseini was the leader of the... Muslim group out of Palestine. He lived in Germany. Hitler gave him an apartment. Hitler gave him a radio show. 
They translated Mein Kampf, Hitler's book, into Arabic to my jihad, and he, al-Husseini, worked closely with Hitler and Himmler to carry out the Holocaust. This We have pictures of them touring Auschwitz. We have pictures of Hitler and him together, Himmler and him together. It is very well known. It is very well documented, as I documented in Sabotage the Movie, that he wanted these Jews killed as quickly as possible. Hitler was going to let some of them go out of, uh, out of uh, Hungary and Bulgaria and just let them leave. And the Grand Mufti, the Muslim Brotherhood Grand Mufti, said, no, they'll go back to Palestine. They'll go to Palestine, where I'm at, kill them. And so you're talking about a group of people that was involved in the Holocaust, Muslim Brotherhood, that gave birth to Hamas in 1987, that gave birth to terror in 1994, and you've got major evangelicals playing patty cake with these guys on video declaring they sense a kindred spirit with them, they want to learn Islam from them, that they want them to make a video to teach the evangelical church in America about the true faith of Islam, and yet Muslim Brotherhood has openly stated that interfaith dialogue is one of their main tactics to bring the non-Muslim over to their side, not the other way around. And that's why my two friends, one on the left, one on the right, sitting at my dinner table last year, this past January, said, evangelicals are the last line of defense, and if they fall, you can kiss the country goodbye. Both of them are former CIA operations officers, and they're watching it happen. Wow. I'll tell you what, it may be very well documented, everything you just said, but it is not widely enough spread. I was not aware of that. That is an education just in the last couple of minutes that you just provided. I was not aware well, of those ties to the Holocaust. Video, yeah. That six-hour video, it's broken into six one-hours. And if people are doubting what I'm saying, they can go watch the first hour for free at sabotagethemovie.com. Just go to sabotagethemovie.com. And they can watch the first hour for free. And, they're, and the first hour that you're watching for free at sabotagethemovie.com, it's just like the other five. There, when I made this documentary, I said it's got to be fast-paced, almost like watching uh, Heather Sullivan's 24 or uh, Lone Survivor or something like that. It's got to be so fast-paced. The common theme from everybody was, wow, was that really just an hour? It feels like 15 minutes. Wow. And Everything that someone said in this documentary, and I have former Muslims in there, former CIA operations officers, former FBI, former DHS officers, everything someone said, I had to be able to document it for the audience so they knew it was true. So if someone said something, I had to stop production, go validate what they said with screenshots, and bring it back into the documentary with B-roll footage of screenshots from Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Times, whatever, just to document or the actual legislation. Or I would cut and go to a cutaway and go to the, a video of someone saying or doing exactly what they predict. I'll give you an example. The FBI is going to known, known mosques in America, particularly one outside of D.C. You have a video clip of in the documentary. Major leader in the FBI going to a known terror-tied, terrorist-tied mosque and standing there and being a useful idiot for, the, for Islamists and telling these Islamists, we want you to come join the FBI. Wow. Now, the video clips that I provide in this documentary, many Americans have not seen. You will also see Billy and Karen Vaughn. Their son was a SEAL Team 6 member. He was shot down with 16 other SEAL Team 6 members in August of 2011. 
Uh, and that's a whole story why they were shot down and how it Brent, Brandon, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because I'm out of time here. Um, uh, this is fascinating. I'm looking at the webpage right now, by the way, sabotagethemovie.com, so I will encourage people to go to that. But moreover, I want people to go to act, email info at actcleveland.org for the link to Brandon's presentation to Act for America Cleveland Chapter this Monday, 7 p.m. You're going to want to watch this. He's going to appear via Zoom. He's going to be interviewed by Jim Simpson, uh, author of The Red Green Axis. So, uh, Email info at actcleveland.org for the link to watch and participate in this presentation by author Brandon House, Sabotage and Marxianity. Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on. I wish we had more time. I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say on Monday night at the Act for America meeting. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's 1055. We're going to have to get out now and come back in and wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority. Here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1058. I only have to, about a minute here left in the program, but I'm going to give 45 seconds of it to Mike in Akron, who wanted to comment on the Brandon House conversation. Mike, go right ahead. Hi, uh, Bob. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for all you do. I just wanted to say, you know, I really enjoyed hearing Peter Kersenow. Oh, my gosh, he's so good, as well as uh, Brandon. I just caught the tail end of that, but... It's so frustrating. I go to a large evangelical church. The guy was right. I mean, David Platt is a huge name. I did know that he apologized to his congregation about Trump's uh, coming to ask for prayer, which I just found unbelievable. And then I... and I, uh, Mike's phone cut out there, unfortunately. I was going to have to let him go in about 15 seconds, but his phone cut out at the wrong time, though. But I do appreciate it, and I agree with you. Uh, the conversation with Brennan House was very illuminating. And uh, I'll tell you what, that's exactly why we do what we do. We're going to try to bring you more education. I know I learn a lot when I bring people like this onto the program as well, and today was no exception. Thanks, everybody, for a great show. Uh, back with a free-for-all Friday tomorrow on the Bob France Authority. Have a great day. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 